We thank you for your word that we are about to hear now and receive. We thank you for Pastor Matt and for his preparations this week as he brings your word to us in the book of Mark. We thank you that wherever we are today, you are here, you are near, wherever our hearts may be, you are close, you are beckoning, you are inviting us. We receive from you. The scripture today is in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. And immediately he, Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Oops, that's the wrong part. I will skip down to the one that we're supposed to be reading today. It's 35 to 39 in Mark chapter 1. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I love the question. Who do you say that he is? It's absolutely essential. I was meeting this week with a friend who is a Muslim, and he knows the Bible really well. And we had a really engaging, respectful, interesting conversation. He would not say Jesus is the Christ. He's read the text and thought about it. We're going to meet again, um, because that's what friends do. For those of us that proclaim Jesus is Lord, we say he's Lord. We say Christ is not his last name, but a description of who he is and what he does. As Jesus begins to move at a quick pace throughout Mark, we remember that the first thing that he says is he brings the good news of God. And I wonder if you summarize the good news of God to your own heart and mind. We, I talk about this all the time because it's in the scripture all the time. I talk about this all the time because this is the, one of the most regularly comforting thing to a Christian is to be able to preach the gospel to themselves. Commenting on the Psalms, uh, a pastor who I respect very much named Tim Keller said, you have two choices. You can listen to your heart or you can talk to your heart. We all need to be capable of speaking to our heart about what's true and good about God and then ourselves. So I hope that you can summarize the good news of God in your own language. For some of you, that would be brief. For some of you, it would be full of adjectives and adverbs. It's essential. And as we begin looking at all the places Jesus goes, suddenly and immediately, 
we remember the first part of, of Mark 1, and I'm going to read a, a summary that I just love, and some of you are going to love it more than me, and a lot of you are going to think it's a little wordy. But as we get into some of the minutiae and the odd parts of Mark, this is what we're trying to remember, is that having through God's power stood his ground against Satan in personal combat and thus exposed the hollowness of Satan's pretension to universal sovereignty, Jesus now comes to Galilee, the homeland of salvation, proclaiming the good news that God himself is about to reassert his claim over the world. The dominion of God has come near. But as we look at all these stories, I'm, I'm focusing on Jesus seeking out the desolate places. Because at the end of his time of prayer, he t- says something so essential to understanding him and his mission. He says, we, I need to go preach for that is why I came. Jesus' actions emphasize, clarify, and display his gospel preaching, which is why he came. It'll help us understand different arguments and confrontations with Jesus. It'll help us understand people that did not stick with him, that could not keep following him. It'll help us understand when we look at him healing the man with the unclean spirit, healing many, healing uh, Peter's mother-in-law to highlight the good news We notice also that just a few verses in, Jesus both sought desolate places and he sought out companions. And he didn't, he did it for all sorts of reasons, but it is important for us to notice that the with God life is one of intimacy with God. It is also one where we have some trusted friends that we can rely on and they will let us down as Jesus' friends did, but we also need them. Jesus is displaying to us a full humanity. which I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say we need even more than he did. Both time with the Father and uh, with wise friends who can encourage us. Jesus was already at the beginning of his ministry fatigued in a way that only time with the Father would alleviate You know what I love about this also is there are literally thousands of voices telling you that your humanity is how efficient you are, how productive you are. Nope. Jesus resists that, literally ignores it and goes the other way. He has three years to accomplish the most important work in the whole world. And we have multiple instances of him taking extra time to pray, napping. And I realize this whenever someone asks how I'm doing, somewhat regardless of how close we are, I answer them about my productivity. Because it's so in the water and in the air and in the messaging that you are what you do, you are what you can produce, you are what your production can earn in terms of a living. And the gospel of Jesus, not only, I just, nope. No, you're made in the image of God. You're beloved of him. 
and worshiping him and loving the neighbors in your life and, yes, doing some good in the world through what you're called to. All of those are who you are. And hurry and productiveness and efficiency. Efficiency sometimes matters, you know, what I'm saying here. But it is not the end-all, be-all of anything, much less who you are. And Jesus sought out desolate places to pray. Why did God pray? Have you asked that question before? Does it trouble you? Is it weird? Jesus took on limits. Philippians 2 explains that in a, in a hymnic fashion. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. From Tulsa. Sometimes our syllables get emphasized wrongly. In Philippians chapter 2, there's a description of Jesus taking on limits, and those limits forced him to seek out what is lacking in a world that is still under the curse, which is the presence of God, the confidence that we have being in relationship with God, and the comfort that you receive through a full knowledge of your relationship with God. The world blocks our senses from that. It's never blocked. The world can't take it away, but our senses can't detect it as easily or as quickly. That's why God prayed. Because he was, he purposefully removed himself from the presence of his father. And with that needed regular communion with him. How did he pray? Jesus was asked this question more than once and um, taught what we often call the Lord's Prayer. How he prayed was a, a in giving and receiving intimacy, in expecting that prayer would further align him with God's mission, or would keep him aligned with God's mission. He prayed that he would receive everything he needed that day, daily provision. He prayed for energy. And if that sounds weird to you, remember that at one of his healings, Jesus' power had gone out of him. You ever feel that way when you give a lot to people and you're like, something came out of me. I didn't run today. But I have less emotional and spiritual energy. When Jesus, Jesus didn't need to pray for forgiveness, but he did need the emotional and spiritual energy to forgive those around him. He prayed for protection. I, I take this out of uh, the description in Matthew and in Luke when Jesus, in Matthew when he taught on prayer and in Luke when he was asked to teach, asked to teach them to pray. This is what we expect to offer and to receive from God in prayer. Those are just my words, handwritten. Some of you are like, that's good handwriting. Some of you are like, eh. That's what we expect to give and to receive in prayer. That's what Jesus gave and received in prayer. Intimacy, alignment, provision, energy, and protection. Jesus sought out those places to pray for the gospel to reach the churched people, the unclean and those that were already worshiping God. The teachings in, or the, the things that happen in Mark chapter 1 are going to foreshadow what the disciples are going to be called to do and what you and me are going to be called to do as God's followers. 
First, this man with an unclean spirit comes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Those of you that are readers of fantasy are like, is he trying to exert power over Jesus by naming him? Yes, probably. Every author of fantasy, not every, most fantasy authors would believe that there's power in the knowledge of who one is and where one comes from. I'm reading in this like 3,000 word commentary that this was a attempted a magical counterattack to Jesus. That doesn't go well. The reason it's important to note that is the demon could tell that Jesus was a spiritual being. He knew who he was and of what power. And in a moment of defense, commentary also says that the demons in Mark had a fatal attraction to Jesus. And I just love when a commentary can make me laugh. And here's why that's similar. Here's why that's foreshadowing to what the disciples will do and what you and me will do. If we've been given the kingdom, if we have received Jesus's uh, work on our behalf and are now his followers, when we act like his follower in the world, we're pushing back darkness. Or he is pushing back darkness through us. You see this all the time in your place of business. I'm sure there are some nobilities to it. There are also some places that do not align with the Christian faith. And then you have an opportunity to act like a Christian anyway. And it may seem insignificant, may even get you into trouble. But what's happening is the kingdom of heaven is entering in a small pocket of that area. The disciples... After the events of Mark unfold, we'll then carry on this work. And now, you, me, carry on this work. Because he is Lord. And it is for both those in the church and those outside of the church. When Jesus called James and John... He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And I don't think that's new language. I think many Christians are familiar with that language. If I started the sentence, I think many of you could finish it. But do you know where it comes from and what the context is? It's from Jeremiah chapter 16, where God describes rescuing his people from idols, both religious and of the world. The idols of the world our violence, oppression, so that for money's sake, violation of sexuality. The idols of institutional religion, though, are ones of hierarchy, division, and judgment. And the context of Jeremiah 16 that Jesus is quoting is true followers of God rescue people from both of those idols or from whichever one we're pursuing at the time. And they're both egregious and they're both violations of God's character. They both harm neighbor. They both keep us from living full and free lives. in this entire chapter, what we're seeing is new Exodus imagery as Jesus comes out of the water and begins to lead his people into freedom. And there's opposition. 
Just as Pharaoh opposed, the demons oppose. That's why the demon is pursuing a spiritual attack, because he knows Jesus has good news that will free people. Doesn't go well, but that's why. This is the, the studying for this is the most I've ever wanted to visit uh, Israel. I know it's not a good time, but and we pray for them, and it's horrific. And I'm not going to commentate more than that on it. Did you know that you can still sit in these places? Capernaum is one of the most interesting spots to visit because you can still see pieces of the church. Church was destroyed uh, in the second century and then rebuilt, but you can still see it and sit there. And part of the reason that um, this chapter is so interesting is there's still a church there. And it's part of their heritage that has come through the years, through the decades and centuries. They continue to call Jesus Lord, even when their church is destroyed and then rebuilt. Jesus sought out desolate places to pray. And his prayer was not only to receive and to offer intimacy, alignment, provision, energy, and protection. It's also that people would hear the gospel. The story of this leper is interesting to me. I checked the the Greek on it three times because I was frustrated with the ESV. This is in chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and saying, If you will, you can make me clean. And then it says, moved with pity. And I think... I know the reason that the scholars who know their Greek a lot better than I do translated it this way, translated it this way. But typically the word means he was incensed. Not at the man, but at the man's condition that led him to not have a community, to have to yell unclean, to have to live on the outskirts of town. That bothered Jesus Similarly, and Jesus sternly charged him. Other translations say growled at him. Both because he was upset about the plight of the man, but also because he wanted the man to follow uh, the Levitical law for someone after they were healed. A disorienting thing about reading the gospel is how often Jesus comes into conflict with religious leaders, and it's essential for us, in order to understand Jesus, to understand that he did not always come into conflict with religious leaders. Do you know why the people of Capernaum did not bring people to be healed until sundown? Is because they were honoring the Sabbath. The reason that Jesus told the leper to go show himself to the priest is he was honoring the law. Sometimes Jesus opposes the religious leaders because they were following into the idolatry that Jeremiah talked about in chapter 16 that Jesus is referencing with fishers of men. And the law was a burden. It was oppressive. It was judgmental. It only served certain people and very much harmed other people. Those people, Jesus will oppose. I know I said all that kind of fast without breathing. It's because, friends, there is freedom available to us because Jesus came and taught it and modeled it and showed us how we can fall out of it back into imprisonment through the world's idols or through our own judgmental tendencies. And he even became an outcast at the very end of this chapter 
But he went out and began to talk freely about it, the leper, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So Jesus became an outcast to the uttermost on the cross, but even in his life and ministry could no longer enter places so that we could have communion with God, good and wise friendship with one another, and be drawn into his purposes in the world. Do you pray with me? Jesus, we ask that we hear with clarity you calling us to turn away from our own ways to yours. For those of us that have called you Lord for a long time, would your call to repentance encourage us? For those that are considering, would we see that in trusting you there is freedom and real life? Amen.